I'm Autumn Lockett. And this is Mitch Randall. And you're listening to Good Faith Weekly. Welcome to Good Faith Weekly. And on this episode, Autumn and I are going to catch up and we're going to hear all about her grand adventure at Glacier National Park. And then we're going to talk about the end of the Afghan war. Lots of bad things happening at the Kabul airport, as well as refugee settlement, resettlements. Uh, Great need there. And then we're going to talk about the continuation of a rapid spread of the Delta variant in COVID-19. And then later on in the pod, Autumn and I sat down with a pediatrician, Dr. Jared Beavers, and talk about how parents can protect their children as they send them back to school. So stay tuned. It's a good episode. I'm Reverend Starlet Thomas, a womanist in ministry and the host of the Raceless Gospel podcast from Good Faith Media. It's season two, and we're still talking about that taboo trinity, race, religion, and politics. This season of the Raceless Gospel has eight episodes, eight podcast church services. The doors of this church are open, and we're going to talk about the sticks and stones we carry faithfully that break the skin and bones of Christ's body. And on each episode... We're joined by those who bring perspective and insight as to how we set these broken bones and perhaps make things right. The Raceless Gospel Podcast, eight episodes. I'm your podcast pastor, Reverend Starlet Thomas. Join us as we discuss the church in North America's bodywork. Learn more at goodfaithmedia.org. Autumn, welcome back to Civilization. Thank you so much. I never realized there were still places in our country that were so remote that your cell phone would be a literal brick. <laughs> so it was just dead weight that you carried around in the glacier. Yes, <laughs> it was just a camera. It was back to the old days when you just carried a camera and it couldn't do anything else. It was so beautiful. I'd seen pictures of Glacier National Park and um, the pictures just do not do it justice. It was amazing. Well, I know that you posted uh, some pictures on your personal Facebook page as well as Good Faith Media's page, and it looks stunning. I mean, just gorgeous, gorgeous uh, scenery. Yeah, it really was. And I've actually really um, terrified my husband because I really enjoyed hiking. And I've never been an outdoorsy (laughs) person before, um, ever. But I liked the exertion. I liked the sort of... um, prime cardiovascular situation because you get your heart rate up and you sort of walk on level and then you get your heart rate up climbing. And so I've got, I have a hydra hydrating backpacks on the kids Christmas list and I'm ready to start hiking places. And my husband is not real happy about that. (laughs) Well, I remember kind of poking fun at you a couple of weeks ago, kind of worried about you because, you know, as you just said, you're not the most outdoorsy type, but uh, I'm not, but you know what, Mitch? People can change their minds about things. <laughs> That's very true. Very they true. They can. And we encourage people at Good Faith Media to take in new data and to make informed new decisions. Now, from what I understand, it was the standoff with the goat on the trail that really changed your mind. <laughs> it was, they were, I mean, I know I sound like a cartoon character, but they were so fluffy. And when I they say goat, so I'm not talking about a little farm goat, right? Oh, no. This was a big goat with like deep fur and it just, ran straight up the mountain like gravity wasn't even an issue it was beautiful just like the sound of music (laughs) and goats weren't all the life or wildlife you saw no we saw both kind of bears we saw a grizzly and a black bear we saw an elk we saw a moose we saw marmots and chipmunks and ground squirrels and we basically any kind of wildlife they had at glacier national park we saw and have video evidence of (laughs) <laughs> well, I've seen that video evidence. It looked remarkable. So, you know, what was it like? I mean, we, we have these experiences at Good Faith Media, and, you know, it's kind of strange that a media company encourages their supporters and listeners and viewers to really unplug from media and go into these national parks. What was it like to, to unplug for an entire week? It was life-giving. You know, we have been so... Um, extremely plugged during COVID because these machines are the only way we can connect and do our work. And so it was, it was really sort of healing to be in a place where my phone wasn't 
pinging and ponging the whole time. And then just getting to spend time with people of all different generations and life stages and professions who have a heart to truly be a Jesus follower and to listen to them about their professions and really talk and connect with people uh, was just really, really life-giving. If you have an opportunity to go on a Good Faith Media experience, you absolutely should. Excellent. Well, I'm speaking of unplugging, uh, lots of heartache coming out of Afghanistan last couple mm-hmm. of weeks. Uh, Biden administration announced a few weeks ago that they were keeping the deadline for a complete uh, U.S. pullout of August the 31st. And since then, the Taliban have basically taken over the country. There has been a mad rush to the Kabul airport where thousands of Afghanis are attempting to get out of the country, some clinging to the bottom of planes in hopes Mm. of getting out. That has created a complete humanitarian crisis. There's a huge refugee resettlement program that is underway right now, and it's just been heartbreaking to see. Yes, I... I just wonder how many times in our lifetime we're going to have to talk about refugees. Oh, I think we're going to be talking about them every year because there is a huge global catastrophe taking place. I mean, what we're dealing with right now is war and the displacement Mm -hmm. of victims of war. And that's not going to slow down anytime soon. But there's also the added component of climate change yes, and yes. people reload. I mean, we've talked about, you know, refugee crises in the world. I think that there's a human migration taking place, mm-hmm. that humans mm-hmm. are migrating to places where there are resources, where they can simply take care of their families in a safe manner. And they hate leaving their homelands. They love their homelands. And Imad and Chauncey writes about that this week at goodfaithmedia.org mm-hmm. about, you know, no refugee wants to leave their home. It's their home for crying out loud. But when they do, they do so for the simple fact of finding resources and opportunity for their families. And so, so it's just heartbreaking. And when war is involved, this was a choice that we made 20 years ago to enter Afghanistan. And we've made choices ever since then to stay there. And I was talking to Mark Wyatt a while ago, who's a CBF missionary who's in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, who oversees the Welcome House there that is a, a refugee house that transitions refugees into the communities. It's a wonderful, wonderful program. And he reminded me in our phone conversation when he simply said, he said, Mitch, this is what the end of war looks like. And he's absolutely right. I was yep. a child when the Vietnam War ended, and I was a small child when the Vietnam War ended. But I do remember in my church back in Tulsa, Oklahoma, many Vietnamese children and young people flooding into our church. And this is, ex- he's exactly right. This is what the end of war looks like. And the question is, do we have a responsibility to take these refugees in, to care for them, and help them transition into a new life? Because the life that uh, they are forced to live with, if they remain back in Afghanistan, that is not a good one. The Taliban no. will retaliate. Well, and um, it's really a shame. The Bible never really told us what to do with refugees, widows, or children who were in need of homes. I mean, it's just real unclear. Yeah, it's very unclear. I mean, I wish they could have been a little more concise. I mean, I think Jesus said maybe he may have mentioned it a time or two, but it was that not really. guy. <laughs> uh, no, as people of faith, we are called. I mean, over and over again in the scripture to take care of the stranger and to welcome the stranger and care for them and show hospitality. That is a part of our theological. Uh, foundation and understanding. Yeah. And we need to be doing this. We have responsibility. And so Mark suggests starting with your local refugee settlement organization and seeing what is being done there. He said, because of the Afghan situation, usually it's about a two-week notice when refugees uh, get to come into the state. But now they're getting a notification of one day. One day, refugees may show up in your community. And so there's a desperate need for homes and rooms. Uh, And so uh, so Mark suggests uh, starting with your local 
resettlement organization. And if you don't have one in your area or if refugees are not being resettled in your area, there are certainly other uh, cities, other organizations like the Welcome House in North Carolina and CBF's refugee program that you can support. So it's mm-hmm. it's certainly a lot of good happening. This is an opportunity for people of faith to really to do what is right. And I, I hope that we all rise up and do so. Yeah. Well, speaking of doing what is right, school's back in session. Delta variant COVID-19 is not slowing down. And there's a lot of people who are still not choosing to do what is right and avoid the vaccine, not implement mask mandates in local schools. And it's just heartbreaking. The numbers are going through the roof. And instead, they're just depending on horse dewormer to solve the problems. When the CDC, I think it was the CDC or FDA, released a statement saying, people, you are not horses. Do not take this. What kind of world do we live in when you have to say that? I don't, I don't know how you have mistrust of medication for people that's been through lots of testing and research for how it affects people, but you would trust a veterinary supplement that was never meant to be ingested by people, right? It's, it's used topically to treat lice and rosacea on humans, but in very small doses and different doses than people are buying at the feed store. Um, which is what we're seeing right now. Yeah, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. Well, you have sent your children back to school, Autumn. You've been talking to parents. How's it going? Well, you know, it's it's going pretty well. I sort of fretted about it all summer, and as we saw Delta start to to peak, I didn't know what to do. But after talking to pediatricians and our life and specialists, we made the choice to send our kids back. They are in masks. Our oldest is in high school, and she reports that all of their staff, um, all the adults at the campus that she is on, are wearing masks. Excellent. And and that she's wearing um, she's wearing a mask, and that it's actually been pretty nice for her to be able to pick out friends in high school who <laughs> who are <laughs> compassionate, kind human beings based on mask wearage. So I'm like, that's actually kind of nice. Would have been nice in high school to not have to to fill that out. My little ones are are at a school where they have lots of outside time. They're in masks as well. And then my elementary student is a uh, he's in an N95, and he. Um, is eating lunch in the office sort of away from that super spreader experience. Well, good. Well, I'm glad they're staying safe. And it sounds like a majority of folks are taking this very seriously. And I know there's a lot of concerns out there uh, and rightly so by parents as they send their kids back to school. We are seeing the numbers continuing to increase. Children hospitals are starting to fill up. Uh, ICU beds are at capacity and it is a, an alarming time. The vaccine works, folks. Uh, it's got full FDA approval now. So those of you who have been holding out for that approval, it's here. Go get the jab. Uh, for those who need boosters, it's available now for the elderly and others. So so please, let's start uh, taking care of ourselves. We've got to bring this thing to end. That's the only way it's going to come to an end is through vaccination and increasing those rates. Well, Autumn and I had the pleasure of sitting down with Dr. Jared Beavers this week, who was a pediatrician out of Little Rock, Arkansas. And Autumn had the wise idea of doing some uh, consult, not consulting, but crowdsourcing. Crowdsourcing. Uh, and we got some great questions from our Facebook followers that we posed to Dr. Beavers, and he answers those, and he says it in a very great and kind way and thoughtful way. So it's a great interview. So stay tuned for Dr. Jared Beavers. I'm Reverend Kendall Ray Rothis, and my latest book is just out by Queendom Come, Breaking Free from the Patriarchy to Save Your Soul. By Queendom Come is a feminist reimagining of the kingdom of God. Hierarchy is replaced with a reign of love. Women's voices and stories are valued. Reverence for the divine feminine reemerges from the ashes of its martyrdom. Order your copy of Thy Queendom Come wherever books are sold. Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode, we've got a very special guest with us all the way from Little Rock, Arkansas. Dr. Jared Beavers is currently an associate professor and hospitalist in pediatrics at the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences. Dr. Beavers also practices neonatal intensive care at 
Arkansas Children's Hospital. Dr. Beavers is currently a member of the American Board of Pediatrics, Alpha Omega Alpha, Christian Medical and Dental Association, and the Arkansas Medical Society. He lives in Little Rock, as we've already stated, with his wife, Blair, who's also a pediatrician, by the way, and their daughter, Emerson. Dr. Beavers, welcome to Good Faith Weekly. Well, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. We are so glad that you're here. How old is Emerson? Emerson is now eight, and she actually, they probably haven't updated that dossier, but it's, uh, I actually have a six-year-old named Bennett as well. So oh, she, nice. <laughs> busy. Excellent. That's great. What's it like living with another pediatrician? You guys like, oh, are you, man, are you, you know, in competition with um, one another? You know, we, the funny thing is, so back in the day, you know, we actually did training together, and uh, that was a true test uh, on our marriage, um, you know, <laughs> times when uh, we we butted heads you know professionally uh not just uh not just as, as husband and wife but uh um, it was a little bit of a challenge but now i mean i really couldn't ask for it, uh, anything better you know i've got an instant consult you know if uh if i'm you know kind of losing my way I, I can turn to her and ask her a question and uh, uh she doesn't turn to me for questions you know because she's smarter but you know i, I think that <laughs> it's nice to have that uh that uh, partner that you can you can do life and career with so it's kind mm-hmm. of Absolutely. Well, Dr. Beavers, you're here today because uh, the Delta variant and kids heading back to school. Um, You live in Arkansas, which is a hotbed uh, for the virus right now. Um, Just first of all, how are you and your family, uh, everybody okay and healthy? Yeah, um, so far we've we've, uh, we've managed uh, along pretty well. Um, You know, there have been a couple scares along the way, you know, and, and certainly, you know, being in healthcare uh, every day is a, a little bit of a challenge now, but, uh, um, yeah, we've, we've remained pretty healthy. Um, and so we're very thankful for that. Excellent. Excellent. So what Mitch and I have done is we've sort of put together some questions of things. So we've been wondering things that we've asked, uh, I've asked our pediatrician and then also sort of crowdsourced some, some parents on social media. And this is sort of a list of the questions that were the most burning and at the top of their list. So I'm just going to kick it off. And they're probably things you've been asked in the office quite a bit in the past 19 months or so. Uh, we know that masking and distancing are essential tools in helping slow the spread of COVID. And we know a lot more about that now than we did in March of 2020. But what other tips would you recommend? What are you doing at home with your family? Well, that's a great question. Um, yeah, so, you know, masking, distancing, you know, I think when when we're talking about all of those protocols and all of those little things um, that help protect us from the virus, it's all layers of protection, you know? And so the number of layers that you can get between you and the virus, the better. And I'm not just talking about layers of, you know, masks or layers of, you know, cloth or anything like that. I'm, it's just physical, physical, but also temporal layers. So, um, you know, if you can, you know, time activities, you know, to where there's not going to be a, a crowd, you know, uh, for example, like when we go out to a playground with our, our children, um, we try to go, you know, in an off hour where there's not going to be a lot of kids, you know, around um, that could potentially, you know, uh, be interacting too much with them. Um, we, it's, it's a hard balance, you know, between wanting your kids to have that socialization, you know, and, and um, that, that fr- friendship and camaraderie. Um, um, but also trying to, to caution them and be very careful um, um, with regards to spread. Uh, we do encourage them whenever they're going to be around, you know, other kids and stuff that we're going to wear our masks, you know, if we're not uh, in, uh, if we're not outside. Uh, for outside activities, you know, um, just, you know, telling them, you know, let's, let's not have any physical contact, you know, but um, um, you can certainly run around and, and, and jump and play and do those sorts of, sorts of things um, with the other children. Um, as far as other precautions, you know, I think, you know, the CDC's laid it out pretty well, and I know that there's been a lot of kind of controversy, you know, uh, or at least this disagreement with, with you know, the, the mixed messaging the CDC has, has had, you know, in, in past months. Um, but I think it's, it's all been fairly, you know, uh, consistent with, you know, trying to maintain that physical distance, you know, trying to wear your mask, you know, when you're indoors with other uh, uh, people. Um, and also, again, just not doing anything that you don't necessarily have to do, you know, mm-hmm. especially with the, the, the variant raging through our community right now. Um, just not going out and about and just avoiding as much contact as you can. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Dr. Beavers, this is the third school year that's been affected by COVID-19. Um, a lot of kids uh, already back in school. Uh, some kids on the East Coast, uh, West Coast uh, will be arriving in school in September. 
Um, a lot of nervous parents out there, obviously. So what guidance do you have for parents who want their children to have the benefits of in-person learning, but also want to mitigate the risk of COVID-19? And I'm going to give you a specific example. And I heard this just last night from a parent. How risky is it for an elementary children, or how risky is it for elementary children to be masked in a classroom where a teacher does not wear a mask? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, so again, you know, it, it, you've if if the the teacher is not wearing a mask, you've removed a layer, you know, between you know that that teacher and that student, you know. And so I think it it, it would be ideal, you know, if teachers and students were both masked, you know, had those physical barriers in place. Um, when we're talking about risk, it's really it's really hard to put numbers on this. This is not something that's well defined right now. I mean, even though we've been kind of in this for you know for eighteen, you know, 20, 24 months. Um, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're learning things every day. Um, the problem with masks and, and those barriers and the difficulty with studying them is that there's no two masks that are alike, you know, and the cloth mask that I'm wearing, um, you know, when I go out and about is different than the surgical mask that I typically wear while I'm making rounds in the hospital, which is different than the N95 mask that I wear when I see COVID patients. Um, so it's, it's, um, the, there's a lot of variability, you know, that, that plays a big role in how much risk there is. Um, so I think a lot of it kind of boils down to just common sense things. Um, of course, you know, the, the teacher not having a mask on increases the risk, but, um, the risk is, is fairly small. I think the, the most important message that I would give to parents, you know, with regards to their, their kids going back to school schools, I'm nervous too. Okay. I'm a pediatrician, but I'm a parent. Everybody, everybody's nervous. That's absolutely fine. Um, and that's a, that's a very real um, and very uh, um, um, common and, and okay feeling. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's okay to feel that way. Um, yeah, I think if you, if you didn't feel that way as a parent, I would be really concerned about you. You know, I would, I would worry about your, your bonding with your child. Um, but the risk is, is fairly small. Okay, the risk overall for children is still fairly small. Um, so when I say fairly small, um, you know, the chance of transmission um, for, from, from child to child um, as asymptomatic carriers, um, you know, there's, there's been some studies in the last, you know, uh, uh, year that have looked at that. And as, as asymptomatic carriers, kids don't tend to spread the virus nearly as much um, as adults do. Um, so once you get up into the adolescent and adult years, um, the, the chances of spreading that virus uh, increase quite a bit. Um, and so the risk for especially smaller kids, you know, elementary school age kids um, going back to school, the risk of, of asymptomatic transmission is pretty small. I think what parents are seeing mostly in the news right now is all of these kids in the, in the children's hospital, you know, um, mm -hmm. all of the, the children's hospitals filling up, um, lack of ICU beds and things. And certainly that's something we, we've been seeing um, here in Arkansas. Um, again, those cases are, are still pretty rare, um, but um, they're, you know, it's just like, you know, anything in pediatrics, one case is too many, you know, and, and when any, any family that has a sick child, um, you know, just like any, any person that has a sick relative, you know, it, it, it's, it's painful um, and it's, uh, um, uh, it's just a distressing situation for them. Um, so I always say one case is too, too many. Um, and if it's your child, you know, you would agree. Um, so I think just doing everything we can to maximize um, the safety for our children, but also kind of promoting that good education. And I am all for in-person education. I'm the son of a school teacher, you know, um, two school teachers, actually. And um, I, I'm, I'm, uh, um, you'll never find a, a bigger public school proponent than, than me. Um, but I also think we have to do it safely, you know, and, and so you know, keeping those protections in place, having some common sense about um, the things we do to, to help keep those kids safe uh, is paramount um, to helping keep, keep those hospitals empty um, and keeping those kids healthy. Excellent. Yes. So there's been a real uptick in RSV lately, mm -hmm. and it seems sort of off season. Do you have some thoughts on why that is? And how can a parent tell the difference between COVID and RSV because they look very similar. Ooh, I can tell you, 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 you Google it like we do at our house. WebMD does not all work. Suddenly your daughter has prostate cancer and there I you know, are. Right? You know? it, man, it, it, that escalated quickly. Um, so um, That's a great question. So kind of two parts to that question. Um, the RSV and, and influenza um, uh, basically disappeared last year. 
um, in, in children. Uh, there were the number of cases, if you go look at the CDC reporting statistics for those cases, it, it's almost like they, they just vanished all, all of a sudden. And it was because of social distancing and masks. Those viruses are, are spread uh, more commonly through respiratory contact, respiratory uh, droplets. Uh, COVID is spread, you know, predominantly through respiratory droplets, but it can also be aerosolized. It can also be uh, spread through tinier particles, um, which makes it more transmissible than those other two viruses. Um, which in turn also makes it um, um, somewhat more deadly um, because it can spread from person to person easier. And so what you see in, this, in, the, in the reporting is that those viruses disappeared because we actually did um, you know, a big social health experiment with distancing and masks, and all of a sudden you know, those cases are, are gone. You look at in Arkansas when the mask mandate was removed, RSV, and, and in, in some small cases, influenza, but mostly RSV came surging right back. And that's because kids started mingling again. And those, those viruses are spread. We all, as parents, know that kids are Petri dishes, you know, that just love to, to spread their lovely germs everywhere. Um, and so that's what we saw. We saw uh, RSV come surging back. We saw these surges in COVID cases. We, you know, we, that, that's, what, that's what's happening is people are mingling more. And those, those viruses that, that, you know, replicate and transmit and live in populations could do so more easily. But that was the, the, big, the big spreader um, and the, the reason for the off-season um, um, kind of surge that we've seen um, was because typically when you go inside for the winter and you're driven indoors, that's when you're going to get most transmission. Um, it doesn't usually happen, you know, in the summer months because we're usually outside, you know, and, and have a little bit more distance and a little bit more fresh air. Um, but um, but we've seen it now because people are, are mingling and, and our immune systems are primed to, to receive um, those viruses. And I think with uh, and the second part of that question, see, I got, got a little off, off kilter there. Oh, um, so I, I guess with um, how do you tell the difference, you know, between between virus types? It's really hard. It's really, really impossible. And, and truth, okay. <laughs> the, only way, the only way you can tell, you know, is with testing. Okay. Um, and if you've had, you know, the uh, the the uh, frontal lobotomy that is a, a COVID test, you know it's not. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, um, you know that it's it's not the most uh, uh, fun test in the world. But I think in this climate, with the the population spread that we have right now, it is very important. Where if you suspect that your child has a viral illness, to talk to their healthcare provider to get testing, you know, and sometimes there are some at-home kits that some providers are using, you know, some, some blood tests and things like that might be a little bit um, um, less troublesome. Um, but talk to their provider um, and, and get testing because especially if they're in a school setting, we don't want transmission to take place right. um, because eventually that virus will find its way to a susceptible person and will cause them great harm. Um, and so we want to make sure that we minimize that. But fever, cough, runny nose, all of those upper respiratory viral symptoms um, are common across influenza, RSV, uh, coronavirus, all of those. Yeah. Dr. Beavers, we got a, a question from uh, our follow, one of our followers, and she asked, would you advise masks for all ages of children? Should they be masked if outdoors? Early on, we wore masks no matter what, but eventually the guidance was that the virus was less efficiently transmitted outside. She's specifically asking about playgrounds, water parks, and pools. Great question. You know, as I said before, you know, playing outside, I'm, I'm not so concerned about masks. Um, you know, when you have um, lots of airflow and, and, and studies have kind of supported this ventilation um, with good, you know, fresh air kind of moving through, the risk of transmission is, is already extremely small. Um, I think certainly, you know, if, if uh, um, you are around someone who is known to be immunocompromised, you know, we have some grandparents, you know, that our girls love to, to see. Um, you know, one of which, you know, is on uh, as a cancer, you know, patient. Um, if you're around someone that you know um, has an increased risk or susceptibility to infection, I think uh, it's never, never harmful to put that mask on for a few minutes, you know, especially if you're going to be in close, close proximity, indoors or out. But I think by and large, you know, uh, water parks, water parks are, are an interesting animal. Um, uh, I, I would say uh, your risk of transmission for everything goes up at a water park. Um, so, I mean, there, I think when, when I say kids are Petri dishes, I, I, water parks are, are, you know, that's just a, a culture tube. You're just, you're just sitting there, you know, spreading literally everything. 
water parks. So um, nothing against water parks, but I mean, man, they're, they're not clean places. Um, I think that, you know, taking again, those common sense precautions, I think masks are good for all age groups that can comfortably wear them. Okay. If it is less than three trying to keep a mask on a toddler. I mean, you, you're going to lose that fight. I'm gonna Even keeping a diaper on a toddler can be a yeah. challenge. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna <laughs> chew on that mask, and they're gonna I mean they're gonna put everything in their mouth. There is almost zero chance that you're going to um, promote a, a safe um, a mask wearing with a, a two year old. Um, but that's what CDC guidance says. If you're less than three and can't comfortably wear a mask, then absolutely don't worry about it. Okay. Um, the risk for those children are small. You know, again, the risk for kids is, is still low. Um, it's it's higher with Delta, but it's still not, you know, uh, at the adult levels. Um, so I think that uh, um, less than three-year-olds and stuff, you know, per the, per the guidelines is, is absolutely fine to, to go without a mask. Um, unless you're in a situation like on a plane or whatever that they, you know, if they say otherwise. So. Sure. So when do you, and this is the, this is the question, right? When do you think we can expect a vaccine for our kids who are under 12? And what is, what is your guidance as far as parents potentially spacing out that vaccine from like the flu shot or their routine immunizations? Good question. Um, So, you know, if I got my crystal ball out, you know, and I, you know, I don't mean to toot my own horn, but I've been, I've been pretty accurate with my predictions as far as, you know, vaccine timing goes. And it's not because I'm smart. It's because I have really, really smart friends. Um, <laughs> you ask your wife, they, basically. I mean, and, my, and I've got a wife that, you know, just, you know, keeps me online. Um, so right now, what, what we've heard um, is, you know, of course the, the FDA, um, said that it would be early to midwinter, um, whatever vague um, um, time that that is referring to. Um, from what we understand in the healthcare community, um, the earliest we would expect to see a, a, a vaccine approved for children less than 12 would be in October. Um, you know, and I think if we get it in October, that would be, again, just a, a landmark. This vaccine, uh, you know, I'm going on a little vaccine tangent for a second. This thing is just absolutely remarkable. And, and I get, I'm, I'm such a science geek. Um, I love talking about this with, with, with parents. What, what these companies have done, um, you know, the interface between government and private industry, um, but also just, just the, the scientists working, you know, long, long hours into the night. They have created a vaccine delivery platform that will, that is easily modifiable you know, that you could change, you know, the vaccine, the mRNA, you know, sequence in the vaccine to tailor, you could tailor it to any, any virus, you know, that kind of comes around um, really at the drop of a hat. It's just, it's, it's remarkable in its simplicity. Um, this isn't a big, crazy, you know, experimental thing that's been researched for, you know, going on over a decade now. Um, and they've created this platform. Um, and what we're seeing is, of course, you know, there are some, I mean, some side effects, you know, sore arm, you know, fever, headache, some of those things that we see from an immune response. Um, but it's remarkably safe and it's remarkably effective. And it's, it's just going to be, I think, here to stay, you know, with regards to how we, how we vaccinate um, and how we keep people healthy and, and from contracting these diseases. And I've told people in, on social media uh, and in my day-to-day conversations, my eight and six-year-old will be at the front of the line when those vaccines are approved for, for mm-hmm. those groups. I, I cannot think of anything as a parent um, that I could do more of to, to make them more safe um, than, than getting them vaccinated against this, this virus. I would feel the relief I had when I got my vaccine, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, seriously, it was like a weight had been lifted off my shoulders because as a practitioner, as a health, as a healthcare worker, seeing these people get sick, seeing these people die, seeing, you know, friends and and, and relatives and and all these people struggling with this virus. It was just, it was a weight off my shoulders to know that I was protected, you know, and yeah, there's still that really rare chance that something could happen. You know, I could still get infected or still be hospitalized, but man, I've really done everything I can. And now it feels, it felt like I'd put on Put on my armor, you know, and I could, I could then, you know, kind of go out more safely. So it was just a huge relief for me. And I can't imagine as a parent, you know, what that relief will feel like knowing that my kids are protecting. Yes. 
You know, um, Dr. Amber Schmidtke, uh, who's an epidemiologist, uh, former employee of CDC, is a friend of our podcast. She's been coming routine guest uh, since the pandemic broke uh, last She's year. She's sort of like the medical Holy Spirit of our podcast. <laughs> so we just have her floating through here, dispensing her knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> but she just echoed exactly what she's been saying about yeah. this this vaccine. Uh, it really is uh, it's a modern-day miracle. In medicine, because what, how they how quickly they put this together and uh, the ability, j- just the the vaccine itself is remarkable. And you know, she's told us, you know, behind the scenes that there are going to be things that come out of this moment that are going to be life changing for everybody because of the research that's been done to bring this vaccine to everybody. HIV patients, all these other oh, yeah. things. We've been waiting and waiting for some kind of relief. Yeah. 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 It's it's going to be. Yeah. I mean, it's a pivotal. It's a pivotal moment. You know. And and one of the things that you know I've, I've talked about with, you know, I've got lots of family that are. are, are very staunchly, you know, conservative, you know, um, um, and um, it's a struggle, I think, between, you know, faith and science. They grapple with a lot, um, but, you know, one of the things, they they raised me, and and one of the things that, you know, when they were had all these hesitations about vaccines and all this stuff, I was like, listen, you, you, helped, you helped raise me, and you helped me through school and training and to, to, to gather all of the knowledge that I've been able to accumulate over these years. And when I tell you that when I've read all this stuff and that, that it's safe and effective, I'm not I'm not feeding you a line, you know, from from some organization or some you know body. I mean, I, I legitimately have 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 done everything I can to make sure that this is going to be good for us. And I, I would you know recommend it without hesitation. And that's been the that's been what I've 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 told a lot of family that have been hesitant to vaccinate. And I think it's really reached them. You know, I think they they really that you know this isn't um you know this isn't a it's not a lack of faith you know in god's protection you know um by by, by taking this vaccine i mean I, I think you know that god has used researchers and scientists and given us brains and abilities you know uh, and and it's just echoed it so it is a miracle i mean this this thing mm-hmm. i called it that you know back in january when i got it myself I, I just like this is this is a modern day miracle the fact that we've been able to develop this so quickly um and we are so blessed in this country and that's one thing i, I don't know if everybody really appreciates the resources that we have in this country mm-hmm. and the the vaccination that we have the vaccinations that we have available the i mean through having three different vaccines you know whereas some countries have zero yeah it's just, it, it's remarkable. Um, just, I think how, how privileged we are. Um, and I just, uh, I really, really just encourage my family. Like, it's like, this is, this is, you know, something I think is good for you and, and to just go with it. Yeah. You know, just to kind of follow up on that. Um, you mentioned there's, there is a hesitancy in all of our families. Some people are hesitant to get the, the, the vaccine. Hopefully now that it's been approved by the FDA that, uh, that, some of those people who are on the fence are not going to get it, but there are going to be still some who just refuse to do it. And talking to Dr. Schmidtke and her educating us on the way this virus and, and any virus uh, begins to evolve and morph because it needs to find a host. My fear is that those who are refusing to get vaccinated are putting our kids who cannot get vaccinated right now at risk. And that's why we're seeing the uptick in cases uh, with children uh, and children landing in the ICU. Is the number one way still to protect our kids as an adult getting vaccinated? 100%. Yeah, without, without any hesitation. Yeah. I mean, this virus, as you said, this virus mutates when it replicates. The more replications that take place, the increased in incidence of mutation. Eventually, it mutates and it will escape uh, the vaccine protection that we have. We're already seeing that, you know, to a degree um, with the, with Delta. You know, the efficacy for the vaccine is slightly lower, um, but only about ten percent lower. Um, and we have variants like Lambda. There's a Lambda variant that uh, was first uh, uh, studied in Peru. That in clinical studies have, have or excuse me, in laboratory studies have shown some vaccine resistance. Um, if we want to escape this thing once and for all, like if we want to get out of this once and for all, um, we really have to get a huge chunk of the population vaccinated um, or post-infection, and, and that's not a, a really reasonable alternative, um, to get herd immunity um, so that this thing will eventually just 
fade out, just like so many other viruses, you know, similar to what we saw with the Spanish flu. You know, the, pro the progression of viruses is that they will flare up, and then as people become immune, uh, whether it's through vaccination or natural infection, and they will so slowly subside. Um, so there is an end to this. There is a, there is an end, you know, um, to this, but it's it's going to be how that end looks can be very very different based on you know vaccination versus no vaccination. Mm -hmm. We're going to be dealing with a lot of long term effects from people who have been not vaccinated that have contracted the disease. There are going to be a lot of long term sequelae that we're going to be studying for for decades. Um, and I think that you know the end point for us is 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 dramatically different um, based on vaccination status. Before I hand it over to Autumn, I got one little bit of a controversial question to ask you, Dr. Beavers. With the full approval of the FDA now, is it time to add this vaccine as a, man, a mandate? Oh, man, that's a, that is a controversial question. Um, you know, I think, so I, I'm a pediatrician, and I, you know, uh, I have seen um, and experienced the, the wonders of vaccination, you know, and, and the, um, the protections that it provides. Um, and I would love nothing more than 100% of, of my patients and their families to be vaccinated for everything that's possible. Um, I don't think that... Um, uh, I don't think that we can, we can mandate, um, healthcare decisions like that. Um, the reason I say that, and, and I, again, I say that knowing full well that, you know, that's a, that you're right. That's a controversial thing. I, I would love it. I would, I would absolutely love to tell, you know, all my parents, well, you know, I'm sorry, you don't really have a whole lot of choice in this, you know, we have to get vaccinated, but I respect them, um, as individuals and I respect their autonomy enough um, to, to let them make healthcare decisions. And I know that it's a public health crisis and in those situations, things change a little bit, but I still think that um, we have to be very, very careful with, with mandating healthcare and then how we do that. Um, again, it's a, it's a little bit of a slippery slope, you know, um, with, with regards to, you know, um, um, the involvement of, of, of agencies or, or corporations or anything like that. And um, I certainly think that industry, you know, um, I don't think that having vaccine requirements are wrong. It's required for me to get vaccinated and for my day-to-day -day work. You know, I have to, you know, as, as a physician, um, I have to submit to, to getting vaccinated because that's, you know, part of the policy at the institution I work at. Um, I have no problems, you know, with that. Um, but again, I, I would have the freedom to leave and, and do another job if I wanted there. Um, so I think that, so, so let me ask oh, you this, and this yeah. is really out of ignorance more than anything, this question comes, uh, which most of my questions are, but, <laughs> um, so what would be the difference between mandating the COVID-19 vaccine versus, uh, vaccines that are already required for children when they enter school? And obviously we do know that there are religious exemptions to that, uh, sure. mandate, but primarily they ask for for vaccination records. What's the difference between yeah. this one and the others? Yeah, and in, in, in that regard, I, again, I don't, I don't think that that's a that's a wrong mandate. I think that schools should be able to require it. Um, I think that you know, again, if you're if you're going into a social contract with with a, an institution or a body, um, you know, saying that you know I'm going to do everything I can to protect my child and other children, you know, by having them vaccinated in a public school setting. Um, then I think that it, it's absolutely fine to have that requirement. We've had that for years and years. And yes, there are people that, that feel, you know, differently, but they, if they have strong religious objections, that there's an exception for that. If they have stronger objections, then, you know, there's homeschooling or, or private schools or alternatives. So I think that there, there are outlets for that. I don't think, I, I just think that a universal mandate, I think that saying that, you know, for you to exist, you know, you have to have this vaccine. I think that that, that um, is just is, is an overreach. I think that um, we still have to have, you know, the freedom, you know, to, to make decisions, you know, for ourselves, um, as painful as those decisions can be, and as costly as those can be, you know, for our society. Um, I still think that there, that's a fundamental freedom. Um, 
but you're right. That is, that's, I mean, that puts, that puts me in a hard place, you know, gotcha. because I, I see the benefits and I see yeah. the, the, the good that they do. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, ultimately, um, we have to have, um, you know, some of those freedoms in our decisions with regards to our, our health. I mean, I, I, just, I don't want, I don't want, um, um, I certainly don't want the government telling me how to take care of my patients. <laughs> you sure. know, I don't want, right. I know there are definitely guidelines, you know, and, and, you know, um, and laws to, that I have to follow. And, and, you know, there are, you know, some, some issues there, but, um, but in my day-to-day practice, you know, if, if I had, you know, if I had somebody looking over my shoulder, I would feel very, very concerned, you know, that sure. I would be able to take good care of my patients. So. That's a, that's a great answer. So th- thanks for it. It's, it's a tough, tough question, but you, you did beautifully. So before I went, I got one more question before I hand it over to Autumn. Um, kids are going back to school, as we've already indicated. We've got, uh, you know, Labor Day right around the corner. A lot of people getting together uh, on that holiday. Um, is it okay for parents to ask their teachers, their adult friends, their family members about their vaccination status? And if they're unvaccinated, what should parents do? Should they keep their kids away from unvaccinated people? Well, yeah, that, that, I think, you know, our whole, our whole culture right now is kind of grappling with that. You know, um, we're, we're really, um, you know, the, the tension that has been created, you know, between vaccination status or, you know, mask status or all of these, you know, these just these pressures and intentions and stuff, you know, that you feel, um, you know, some of them, some of them are, are, are justified. You know, a lot of it, I think, is, is, is certainly driven uh, by uh, exterior forces, you know, that be those political or, uh, um, you know, otherwise disruptive. You know, but I think most people want to know when, when, when they're asking, are you vaccinated or you not, is, you know, are you safe, you know, to be around or are you not? And I think if people appreciate that when people are asking those questions, they don't mean anything by it. It's not a political statement. You know, if we give each other grace and understanding, you know, like, um, you know, are you vaccinated? Um, You know, my, my kids, you know, you know, I don't want them having to miss school and stuff like that. You know, I'm sorry. I know that that kind of sounds like a, a, a crass question, but you know, I just, no, I, no, I, I think it's absolutely accurate because I can remember yeah. when my two boys were young. I mean, when we would send them over to a house that uh, we didn't know the parents. I mean, one of the questions that we did ask the parents is, do they have yeah. fire? Do they have firearms in the house? Yep. Yeah. You know, and I so think, I, I don't think it's inappropriate at all. In fact, one yeah. of the things that I've been doing, which I've had the strangest conversations on elevators these days, because I begin almost all my conversation with Pfizer, you know, <laughs> it's kind of like my new hello, Pfizer. And so usually people will respond right. with whatever they got. <laughs> so, that's right. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. You know, but I think, you know, I think you're right. It's just, there are questions we have to ask as parents, you know, to, to help us, you know, feel more comfortable, you know, that our kids are, are well protected and safe. Um, and I don't think it's a wrong question to ask. I do think there's a delicate way to ask. Sure. Yeah. I think, you know, you, you throw it out there, you go, I'm, I'm sorry, they can't come over if they're not vaccinated. Mm-hmm. I think being confrontational at this point is only going to drive people away. It's only going to cause further disruption and, and, and tension. I think, you know, asking, asking the right way is just as important as asking the question. And so how you ask, you know, those sorts of questions um, is, is very, very, you know, important for parents uh, and families, uh, especially with the holidays coming up. So what if you knew that your family members weren't vaccinated, were not, they were anti-maskers yeah. and worked in a very public facing job? Would you let yeah. your children be around them? You know how many, I can't tell you how many coworkers I have that are in that, that situation. Um, it, it happens every day in the hospital. We have, you know, healthcare workers, you know, just across communities who have taken care of COVID patients, seen, you know, COVID people die, even, you know, and there are definitely, uh, some of them, you know, that are the same way that, that, that don't, you know, feel that the vaccines, you know, are helpful or, or that masks work or that sort of thing. But I have so many, so many other colleagues who are doing everything they can to protect their family, but, you know, they have family members, you know, um, who they, who they, uh, feel aren't. Um, and it's been, that's created huge rifts, you know, um, in their family, created huge amounts of tension. Um, and I think, you know, you know, you have to believe in it strongly, um, or, 
you're gonna you're gonna fold. You know, you're gonna you're gonna you're going to cave to to you know those things. I tell parents when they take a newborn home, I say, listen, these first few weeks when parent when people come to visit, I want you to ask them, hey, have you had your pertussis booster? You know, in the last ten years, because that's one of the things that could actually hurt or kill our baby. And it's really important, you know, that, that you get vaccinated for that before you come around the baby. And of course, not saying it like that, you know, but sure. the rest of it. And I think it's similar with COVID. It's like, you know, you know, listen, um, I'm in a healthcare setting. Um, I could very easily carry, you know, that virus, you know, to my patients, you know, or to somebody who's immunocompromised. So I can't, I can't let my kids, you know, be the, be the vector that brings that home. Um, and could potentially put my patients, you know, uh, at risk in addition to my own children's health. Mm-hmm. So we we have we have to make hard decisions here, and one of those decisions right now is we're not going to have a whole lot of FaceTime with you guys. Um, you know, we'll we'd be happy to to you know get on tablets and talk and, and those sorts of things, but you know, in person stuff right now is just too dangerous. Um, I think taking the hardline stance is is something we have to do as parents sometimes. Um, you know, even with our own parents, I think that's some of the most troubling things, you know, that our, you know, these generations are seeing is that the parent, yeah, the, the generations that raised us are, are doing things that are completely antithetical to the, to the values that they instilled in us. And, and that's hard. That's really it hard as a, as a parent. You're like, that's not consistent at all with the way you raised me. And so that creates this, like, I mean, it kind of, you know, creates this twilight zone effect where you're like, in, in, is this real life? Um, and it just, it, it, it just, again, those are just all tensions and, and social, you know, pressures and stuff that people are facing every day. Um, but I think that, you know, having a principled stance on it and saying, we've got, we've got to do what's right for our family. And in that instance, we think that this is the right, the right path. And I'm sorry that that causes you grief and hurts, hurts you, you know, um, but we have to do what's right. Um, yeah. and I think most people will respect that. Most people, I think, we respect that, but there's definitely going to be conflict there. Yeah, yeah. Well, Dr. Jared Beavers from Little Ark, Arkansas, pediatrician, just a great guy. Thank you so much for being a guest on Good Faith Weekly. It was informative, uh, eye-opening, and we really appreciate your time. But before we let you go, Autumn's got one last question for you. I do. Our tagline at Good Faith Media is there's more to tell. So in light of everything that we've talked about today, what is your more to tell? Uh, my more to tell would be, you know, the uh, FDA has approved the vaccine for everybody 16 and up. Um, it's got full approval. This is not an experiment. This is a this is a full on deal. Everybody that, that can needs to be vaccinated and we all need to take care of one another whether that's adding layers of protection like masks and distancing, um, bringing food to our neighbors you know, who can't go out, um, whatever, whatever that looks like. We, we still need to be taking care of each other because that's how we get through it. You know, we get yeah. through this together. Um, um, and so I think that continue taking care of each other. I think everybody's tired of this whole deal, but, um, but hang in there. We'll, we'll get through it. Well said, sir. Well said. Dr. Beavers, thank you again for being a guest this week. Uh, We are thrilled to have you. I'm so glad that uh, we got connected through one of our board members, Dr. Kevin Hefner. We could spend an entire podcast on him, but uh, we won't. That is a different podcast, Mitch. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But we really appreciate it. Thanks for being on the show. Well, thank you for having me. And guests, thank you, or listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to Good Faith uh, Weekly this week. Uh, Until next week, keep living good faith.